BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, the Bauer and Rose podcast brought to you by justthenews.com. Uh, we are a Bowerless Bauer and Rose podcast today. I think he needs a mental health day after uh, two Bauer and Rose podcasts earlier in the week, but I'll give it my best shot. A lot to talk about the elections. Fetterman now apparently is trailing Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. The betting markets, and this is kind of just breaking right now, betting markets breaking towards Dr. Oz and the political polls that we have become so accustomed to are a, a trailing edge usually behind these betting markets. So we'll see what happens in the coming days and weeks. But that's that's very good news. Herschel Walker up, uh, Governor Kemp way up on Stacey Abrams, despite the fact that Stacey is the uh, incumbent governor in her own mind anyway. Lots of good news. Mark Kelly and Blake Masters, that race is tightening in Arizona. And I didn't see, I had uh, lunch today with a dear friend of mine, my former boss, uh, and one of my oldest friends, Vice President Mike Pence. I, I worked for him for four years in the White House, and we, we uh, had lunch today, and he told me about, I, I didn't see it, and I've, I've got to check it out, but he told me about the Saturday Night Live a spoof on the January 6th committee, which I have got to check out. I'm, I assume that's that's on YouTube, um, which may indicate things are beginning to look up for us. When Adam Kinzinger, Liz Cheney, and Bernie Thompson, the chair of the January 6th committee, can now be mocked openly on Saturday Night Live, I think that's a good a good sign for us, right? I mean, nobody, I just want to be clear, Nobody excuses anything that happened on January 6th. Rioters should be punished. And in this case, of course, they've not only been punished, they've been punished far, far more severely than anyone ever in history uh, has been punished that have been convicted of crimes like parading or trespassing, which in and of itself tells you we now live in this quasi-banana republic with two sets of justice. The old, saw the old line uh, if you live in Latin America or South America, you wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off, and the and the announcer on your favorite radio station says, good morning in Bogota, it's uh, 26 degrees centigrade, and your new president is. Well, that is the sense, I think, that an increasing, growing proportion of the American population sees, and they've continued to see it. What's happened to this country since January 6th is so infinitely worse than what happened to it on January 6th as to beggar the mind. The hearings were a total farce. Everyone knows they were a farce. There was no cross-examination. Witnesses weren't um, subjected to cross-examination. There were no limits 
on hearsay. You know, in a normal court of law, a hearsay is not admissible. Here it was. There was no opportunity for the accused to defend themselves. There was no opportunity even for the accused to face their accusers, so many of whom were anonymous. Now, the committee has appointed itself judge, jury, and executioner. We're almost, we're more than a year into these hearings, and we don't have anything, right? The Democrat media establishment, aided by Republican establishment silence, led by many of those Republican senators, has now kind of dictated that any question of any kind about the integrity of the election in 2020 is ipso facto evidence of insurrection. If there's one thing we all can look forward to is that we never, ever, ever again have to worry about Democrats complaining about election integrity if they lose, right? Because only Democrats get to dispute elections. When we do the same with much greater justification than they've ever had, uh, it's treason. Anyone who dares to ask about the integrity of the 2020 election, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it is two years in the past, has got to be tried and imprisoned and all designed toward the objective of keeping Donald Trump back off the ballot. Everybody knows that the 2020 election was rigged long before election day. Then there's the media, which engaged in this widespread, massive, coordinated propaganda designed to hurt Trump and to help Biden. I think they even know that now. That's not deniable. That's a fact supported by an ocean of evidence. The list is literally endless. The number of, uh, I think we mentioned this uh, a week or so ago in one of our podcasts. Uh, January 6th, according to Trump's uh, inquisitors, uh, disqualified him from the presidency. But remember, on January 5th, there was something else that disqualified him. January 4th, 3rd, etc., Jan- Donald Trump had been disqualified by the establishment from the day he came down the escalator. And they just kept shifting narratives as to what uh, act or non-act disqualified him. The Russia collusion lie for two and a half years. Remember that the Atlantic Magazine article that pushed this total lie about Trump disparaging the dead at Normandy? And... This Jeffrey Goldberg, who who you know considers himself the ultimate gatekeeper of of true and false narratives at the Atlantic, uh, disparaging the dead, they claimed on the basis of these two unnamed sources. Jeffrey Goldberg publishes the story two unnamed sources without bothering to report, even to mention that twenty four people who were with the president that day on the record emphatically denied. The story ever happened. It was a complete lie. Somebody out there should try to compile a list. It'd be a long one, and it's a you know it'd be a a, a PhD thesis if we had any universities that would accept um, a PhD of this kind to try and compile a list of all the crimes, real or imagined, that the media have tried to accuse and convict Donald Trump of. It's endless. There are dozens, and none of them, none have stuck. Not only hasn't it stopped his accusers or initiated any self-reflection, it seems only to have accelerated their push, right? He's a tax cheat anonymous. Remember that guy that wrote the book early in the administration that 
Uh, the New York Times published an extract, an excerpt, uh, as an op-ed, an unnamed op-ed that then turned into this best-selling book, and they promoted him as this high-ranking cabinet official that was not high-ranking and was not a cabinet official. They knew this full well, that the author was not what they claimed he was. Yet they lied to us for over a year until he finally uh, announced himself. I'd never heard of the guy. I worked in the White House for four years. I was chief strategist and senior advisor to uh, the vice president. I'd never heard of this guy, and I didn't hear of him because he never worked at the White House. He worked at some sub-agency where I think he was outranked by like 40 people in his own agency. Every day there was a new crime. The Hunter Biden story, two weeks before the election. Talk about a threat to democracy. Again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We're not a threat to democracy. We're a threat to Democrats. The Democrat Party is the threat to democracy. Then, of course, you have these two impeachments. When he tried to get help to publicize Hunter Biden's corruption in Ukraine versus the absolutely shameless quid pro quo that that Biden has tried to extract from the Saudis on oil production. This isn't just bias. You got to read Molly Hemingway's book rigged. You just got to read it. It's it lays it out better than anybody. This isn't just bias. It's a coordinated propaganda campaign of the kind that international election observers regularly denounce as negatively impacting the integrity or legitimacy of elections in other countries. You know, we send up election monitors everywhere. It's Jimmy Carter um, always going and monitoring other people's elections. Well, this kind of crap is what compels these observers everywhere else to say the election wasn't fair. And I haven't even brought up, other than the Hunter, uh, censoring the Hunter Biden story, the massive manipulation by big tech. They use their algorithms to censor content, to cancel people they determined or messages they determined would hurt Biden and the Democrats while they promoted content and people they thought would hurt Trump. They elevated content they liked, downgraded content they didn't like, block content they didn't like. Does that sound very American to you? They dumped millions, tens of millions of emails from Republicans straight into spam folders while they promoted you know, mirror image messages from, from Democrats. Then there were the unprecedented number of last minute changes to election laws across the country that Republicans, I think now are finally uh, getting some wits about them. Hundreds and hundreds. Mark Levin's done more work on this than anyone that I can think of. Last minute changes, every single one of which was made to help Biden and hurt Trump. The deluge of mail-in ballots at the same time these laws uh, were passed in states or uh, enacted in states by uh, bureaucrats or courts that lessened ballot scrutiny so that if there was fraud, which was much more likely to have occurred since there was so much greater opportunity for fraud, nobody would be able to detect it. But then, of course, looking for fraud was treated by Democrats as insurrectionist treason. We'll see what happens what is it, 19 days out now? We'll see what happens after this midterm. Again, Democrats have now boxed themselves into such a corner that they will never, ever, ever be able to complain about 
election integrity ever again. Unless, of course, it's in the the, uh, Democrat media-controlled United States. They'll just find a way. They'll move on. They'll create a new narrative. But um, thank goodness for small favors. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast on justthenews.com. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose on a Bowerless Bower and Robe. Rose, a podcast, a lot to talk about. And I think it helps for us here at Bauer and Rose and many thanks to our sponsors and friends at justthenews.com to look at things the media isn't really looking at that might be off the general radar. We're just a month out from elections. So naturally our preoccupation is with the midterms as it should be, but it's a big world out there. We got lots going on. We're going to talk about what in the world is going on in the United Kingdom a bit later in the podcast. But I wanted to start with Iran because what we're seeing in Iran might well be the greatest danger, the biggest threat to the regime since the revolution. There have been protests. You might have heard about them. You might have seen some video clips now and again. But these protests, I don't think, are getting the attention they deserve and the little attention that they are getting doesn't seem to be focusing on what makes this movement in Iran unique today. What makes it different from all the, the uprisings and uh, attempted rebellions that have come before these protests aren't over, you know, rising fuel prices or what was it? Bus fares at one point uh, that were used as kind of launch pads for demonstrations These are nationwide demonstrations. They're everywhere. And these protests are about the people's opposition to the regime itself. That's the first. Everyone's always been opposed to the regime, but this time they're out directly with it. They now seem to be connecting the massive corruption to the nature of the regime itself the huge diversion of the country's resources to all the proxy wars and away from from things, investments that might help improve their lives. Don't forget, Iran is not, you know, Sudan or Iraq. Iran is an incredibly rich, ancient civilization, a proud, highly educated people. They hate the fact that their great nation's a pariah. And this uprising comes in the face of Biden's insane insistence on begging the regime, please take our money, take our billions that you can use to continue to destabilize the region. You can continue to use to attack your neighbors, to sponsor terror, to further develop your increasingly advanced missile and drone programs, all in exchange for us giving you an internationally recognized license to become an industrial scale nuclear weapons state. Iran is, 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 they're beside themselves. Why would they say yes when they get everything they want from saying no? And don't forget, all of this stuff intersects. At the same time, Biden is sending tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine that I support, by the way, 
he's offering tens of billions in sanctions relief to Iran to get back into this insane nuclear deal. And this is all happening while Iran is giving Russia these kamikaze drones that are being fired into Ukrainian neighborhoods. And they've now deployed IRGC troops, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps troops, to Russian-occupied Ukraine to man these drone units, to train the Russians on how to use them. And I think H.R. McMaster made a point about this uh, recently on one of his podcasts. I think you may well see Iranian missiles soon being sent to Russia to use against Ukraine because everybody's rate and because under everybody's radar, including my own, Iran has built this impressive drone missile strike complex. They export these precision guided munitions that are increasingly sophisticated to their proxies. The Houthis, the rebel, the terror group in Yemen that overthrew the government and is Iranian backed. They've been using these weapons to great effect in attacking the UAE and attacking the Saudis, which, by the way, might be a reason that MBS, the Saudi crown prince and leader, isn't so thrilled about helping out Joe Biden in his pay-to-play scheme to help him in the midterms, right? In one of President Biden's very first moves as president, he removed the Houthis from the, uh, the terror list, and they're launching their precision-guided weapons into Saudi Arabia, into the United Arab Emirates, and Biden is, is releasing them, removing them from the international terror list. China's also involved here. They've ramped up Iranian oil purchases massively. First of all, they need the oil, and secondly, uh, they get it at a cheaper price because Iran is so hobbled by these sanctions that They're willing to cut great deals with the Chinese, which gives Iran the resources it needs to continue prosecuting these wars. Just imagine what would happen if a regime like Iran gets nukes. Iran's going to keep doing what it's been doing these past two and a half years, which is to get increasingly aggressive. They're the most malevolent force in the world, and they don't yet have nukes. Just imagine how they'll behave if and when they get nukes. Russia, Iran, China, they're all cooperating increasingly. I don't know whether it's as coordinated as we might think, but they are cooperating. And what I fear, because the smart folks tell me that we should fear it, is this possibility of cascading crises, a crisis swarm, if you will. What if a crisis breaks out everywhere at once? What if... Uh, Israel goes after the Iranian nuclear program and Iran starts a major war in the Middle East? What if uh, Putin detonates a nuke in Ukraine? What if China starts mischief in the South China Sea or imposes a blockade or quarantine, let alone an invasion against Taiwan or in Taiwan? And don't forget North Korea. Don't forget North Korea. 25 plus, I think it's probably more than that now, missile launches this year alone. And all these new intelligence reports that are coming out that the Norks are preparing uh, for another series of advanced nuclear weapons tests. I mean, they've got a very clear strategy, North Korea, abetted by China, and that's nuclear blackmail. They don't need these weapons. Again, I'm paraphrasing H.R. McMaster. They don't need these weapons 
to deter an American attack because why would we, what do we want from in North Korea or from North Korea? They're building this weapons capability to blackmail the West. They want us off the peninsula. They've openly announced that the programs they're trying to develop are preemptive nuclear strike capability. Now, who does that threaten? It threatens all of us. So we've got a lot to worry about, a lot, not just here at home, but around the world. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast on justthenews.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, the uh, betting markets now show something I think that might be positive, and that is that Dr. Oz seems to have taken the lead over John Fetterman in the Pennsylvania Senate race. These betting markets are usually a um, leading edge. The polls are usually a trailing edge. They trail these betting markets, so we shall see. Anyway, here we go. How about an update on the world's favorite situation comedy, that being British politics? Of course, the question now after Prime Minister Truss uh, announced her resignation after a tenure of a whopping 44 days is how they're going to choose a new leader. The question is whether it's just going to be Tory MPs or party members. They're talking about narrowing the candidates and then doing some kind of an online vote of membership, because if it's just the MPs and not the Tory party membership, which picked Liz Truss, you know, these are the folks that are going to have to run with this new leader in two years time for the next election. Jeremy Hunt, the newly appointed uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, ruled himself out uh, for fear it would spook. Well, so he says for fear it would spook the uh, the bond markets. And staying out, I think, puts him in a really good position. He's got job security now through the end of the term. Nobody can fire him, no matter who the next leader is. It also, um, there's a big leave remain a contingent here, a uh, uh, consideration the Brexit question, everybody around Truss, including Truss herself, was a remainer. And her short-lived administration was so heavily weighted on one side of the leadership race, she kept all other elements of the party uh, out of cabinet. So it alienated the Brexiteers. Remember, two days after becoming prime minister, the queen dies. So she had that to deal with. And then she was on the back foot from day one. Who's going to succeed her? Uh, who knows? This woman, Penny Mordant, uh, who did pretty well in the last leadership race, their defense minister, who I think is very impressive, this guy named Ben Wallace, uh, describing himself as the unity candidate, although I don't think he's actually announced, but that's how British media is defining him. And then, of course, there is Boris. He's sunning himself right now on holiday in the Caribbean, and he's got to be closely watching events and chuckling with his with his mojito and margaritas, he's the only one who can credibly argue against these growing calls, not just from the Labor Party, but from the media for a general election, because he can say, look, we just had a general election and I want a massive 80 seat majority. I'm the only one with a mandate. These British polls are showing 
that the Tory members never wanted Boris to leave. It was the MPs in Parliament who didn't like him. So the question is whether or not the MPs will agree to even considering uh, whether Boris comes back and whether or not Boris wants to come back. Here's the tragedy, and this is this is simply my opinion, and I'm no expert on British politics. The tragedy is that Liz Truss was actually right on the economics here. She was a terrible messenger, had no clue what she was doing. The plan that blew up in her face wasn't the radical plan that the media here, and certainly taking its lead from the British media, was referring to. It didn't call for cutting taxes. It called for not raising the highest income tax bracket from 40 to 45 and not raising the middle income tax bracket from 19 to 20%. These weren't even tax cuts. They were suspensions of planned tax hikes. I think that's very important for us to remember as we're discussing and thinking about what happened there and what implications it might hold for us on this side of the pond. Remember, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, they were both ridiculed by exactly the same elitist types and for exactly the same reasons that the trust plan was being hammered. And these people were just as wrong as her critics, I think, might have been proven today. If anything, in terms of criticism, her program wasn't nearly radical enough. She started off with this bizarro plan to pay everybody's energy bills. That's 60 billion pounds, or now I guess it's roughly equivalent to $60 billion since the the pound has collapsed. You don't really promote free market reform by paying everybody's uh, heating bills. The difference that I don't know if anyone's making it or not, but the difference here is that uh, Margaret Thatcher truly was the Iron Lady. She toughed it out, people forget, for two brutal years before things turned around over there, whereas Liz Truss caved in a week. Uh, the, the tragedy, and I'll just wrap it up here, the tragedy, in my opinion, I, I think the only way Brexit was going to work and its supporters promoted was if Britain could find a way to detoxify its very high tax and regulatory framework. Remember, if you're a high-income earner in the UK, you pay 40% income tax, you pay 20% value-added tax, you pay your property tax and your national insurance, your NIH tax. So this thing may well have killed any chance for the reforms that I think, and I'm hardly alone, were essential for Britain to make a mark for itself outside the European Union. These tax cuts never had a chance because the spending that she talked about on energy, the energy subsidy program, paying everybody's heating bills, was so enormous, something like 60 billion pounds in new spending versus like nothing, 2 billion in the suspended tax cuts. I just fear that the UK's only way out of a very slow kind of decline because their productivity numbers are not very high uh, now seems dead thank you for listening to the bower and rose podcast on justthenews.com you can get us on stitcher google play itunes or wherever you get your podcast podcast